Hey everybody, welcome to Renewing the Center. I'm going to read from Luke 15. Uh, this is actually, I think, maybe the most famous story or parable ever told. The parable of the two sons, uh, the prodigal son, as you probably have heard it said. Luke 15, verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I thank you for the Bible. Thank you specifically for this story that Jesus tells us. I pray that you would give us wisdom to see your heart in this story, to focus less on our brokenness and more on your compassion. I pray, God, that even the shame that many of us may be carrying today as we listen to these words, that you would locate our shame within this enveloping story of your compassion, your healing, your reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So like I said, I think best story ever told. It's amazing to me. I mean, if you if you want to marvel at the authority and the beauty of Scripture, this is a great example. So we've got, I, I, I know the story continues just for a few more verses about the older brother standing outside. If you're familiar with the story, you know what happens next. He's angry and he has good reason to be angry. But that's just like another paragraph. I mean, really and truly in what would be shorter than a college entrance exam essay, the story that we just read um, would fit just a couple hundred words, and it's powerfully, provocatively, timelessly true. I just marvel. Uh, this is an example of the authority of Scripture. So much said in so few words. Uh, it's a transcendent story. Try, if you don't believe me, try writing a story this powerful in as few words. Uh, it's nearly impossible to do. So if you've read about this or you've heard sermons, you've probably heard lots of understandable and even good emphasis placed on uh, the sin journey of the younger brother, the um, entitlement and the anger of the older brother. And those are powerful things to explore. Like there's so much here. Today, I want to focus on how God 
envelops our shame story in his compassion reconciliation story. So because of that, I'm just going to say, just to put a point on it, the, the younger brother acts shamefully. Um, he, he wants what's his later, rightly. He wants it now. And in order for his dad to give him what he wants, his dad has to sell assets. And assets for this family, their wealth would have almost undoubtedly been land. So he has to liquefy the family farm. It's just a horrifying story, like one that a dad would never do. So Jesus is actually saying we're able to break the heart of God because he, he's, he's, he's a God that's unlike our human fathers. I mean, he's using a hyperbolic story to make a point about um, the heart of God to heal brokenness. So he basically says this kid made a tragic mess of things and then wasted it all, squandered it all. So that's like the human element. What we need to know is that when the son... In, in, endures famine, doesn't have anything to eat. And, and when he comes to his senses, kind of, and says, like, even the servants, the hired hands on my dad's farm are, are living better than I am, there's a sense in which the son sees his shame and also sees his circumstance, and the pain of his circumstance, starving, drives him to try to go home and make a deal with his dad. So that's what shame does. Shame's always driving us to try to make a deal. We're aloof and then we try to make a deal. We try to like somehow uh, wiggle our way through, figure out a way to hold on to a little bit of our dignity, survive. That's what's happening with the boy. But here's where I want to focus. When the boy was still a long way off, his father saw him and we're told by Jesus that he was filled with compassion for him. So instead of his father being aloof and angry, instead of him saying, I'm going to make that boy walk all the way here and then give him a piece of my mind, we're told that the father runs to his child. He knows the humiliation and abuse the boy is going to suffer as he makes his way through the village. And so he goes to him and he shields him from that pain and that shame and that abuse. This is really important because if the father had not run to his son, the son would have had to endure the scorn of the village by himself, which is one of the reasons why we don't face our pain is we don't want to endure the scorn by ourselves. Well, the father moves to his son in order to be with him. Another thing worth noting here is that men in the ancient world, in the Middle Eastern world, even today, they don't run. They never run. It's, it would have been undignified for this man to, to run. Um, running around in lengthy robes, he would have hiked those robes up and ran. Um, so he humiliated himself to move toward his son in order to shoulder the, the scorn, which is just beautiful, y'all. This is one of the reasons why the Lord doesn't want us to pretend that we're not broken. It's one of the reasons why the Lord's always inviting you to see your sin. Because when we see our sin, and we feel the feeling of shame and the fear of scorn. That's where God moves toward us when we have a right estimation of ourselves. And so the man moves toward his boy. Imagine the boy looking up from his shame and his fear and seeing his father, who he had devastated, running toward him. The boy knows in some way, probably, I'm not going to get what I deserve. Um, I would guess that the villagers are stunned the boy that had damaged his family so badly is now being embraced by his father. 
And the Greek language of the text tells us that the father kissed his son again and again and again. So then what happens? In verse 21, the son begins his speech, right? Like you get this sense that he had rehearsed a speech. And if you've ever been caught in shame and sin and you know you're red-handed, you're, you're dead to rights, you know, you just like rehearse your speech. You're like, I got to get this thing just right. Well, the boy rehearses his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he begins to say what he had prepared to say, but he's just been shattered by his father's demonstration of love. I think he sees at this point that the point isn't the lost money. It's the broken relationship. And he knows that no speech is going to heal a relationship. He understands that a new relationship has to be a pure gift from his father. He understands this because he's been given this gift. It's been extended to him. The dad has moved toward him. And I just want to say to you that when you find yourself in a cycle of shame, a broken relationship or uh, disappointments and failures where you've disappointed yourself, you feel like you've disappointed God, other people. Lord knows I've been there. I'm sure you have too. There comes a point where we know we can't fix it on our own. And that's where God either shows up or he doesn't show up. And in this story, we're told the instinct of God is to move toward us in that shame and begin to give us the gift of fellowship, of relationship again. Not only does the father run to his son, not only does he kiss him again and again, not only does he interrupt his speech, he interrupts the boy's speech, the futile speech of like, I don't want to work on your farm. I just want to be a worker. And before I go on, I just want to say, I think some of you listening to this have probably settled for a mindset because of your past of like, I'll just work for God. I'll just be like a worker on the edge of the field versus a daughter, a son. And I just want to say there's nothing you can do that's so bad that God would not restore you in an extravagant way. Sure, there are consequences to sin. That That's just the way the world works. I mean, sometimes we hurt one another and we hurt uh, our standing, our reputation in the community. That's just a fact. I mean, that happens to us. But in God's eyes, he's always willing to restore. So what does the dad do? He puts a robe, the best robe. The best robe was probably still dad's. And that's really important because the, the young man had nothing left. Everything other than what was explicitly the father's, like i.e. something he wore every day, would have belonged to the older brother, the, the other son. So he takes the one thing that's actually still his, that he wore every day probably, a piece of clothing, and gave it to his son. So he's giving out of his side of the, 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 the estate. The ring he puts on was probably the father's own ring, i.e. everything else belonged to the other brother. Shoes are a sign of freedom in the Jewish culture. So the free man wears shoes. No slave owns shoes. And so what happens? He puts shoes on him. He says, you're free. You're not a servant. You're not a worker. And when I think about that, my heart is just really moved because there have been times where I think I would have probably settled for being a worker. I, I actually think there were probably long seasons of my life where I actually behaved and lived as if I were just a worker for God. And yet the Lord puts shoes on the boy. He puts shoes on you. And when he does that, he's saying, you're not just a worker, you're a daughter, you're a son. And some of you today just need to know the Lord's desire is to not just put a robe on you and a ring on you, but shoes on you. Shoes that, that tell you when you look down at them that you're free, that you're not a slave, that you're not just a hireling. You belong to him. And the father says, my son was dead. Now he's alive. His deepest desire is to restore life. 
in his boy. And I think his deepest desire in you and me is to restore life in us. And as we move closer and closer to Christmas, I believe the Lord wants to look at us and he wants to restore us in the places where we've been exiled. So I'll leave you with this. Where, where do you feel exiled right now? Where do you feel like a part of you is out in some distant country and has failed and you're afraid to bring it into the light? Where do you feel disappointment? Where do you maybe feel like you've just made one too many mistakes to feel confident again? Those are the very places where the Lord wants to bring us out of exile and he wants to love us in the midst of our failure. And when he does that, he doesn't say, well, you haven't failed. He says, you have, and I love you anyway. And I think it just begs the question for us, do we believe in God's restoring and reconciling power? If we don't believe in his ability to reconcile us to him, we will really struggle in other reconciliation conversations, racial reconciliation, friendship reconciliation, marital reconciliation. The Lord wants you to be reconciled. And out of that reconciliation, then he calls us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. God bless you. Go in peace. I pray the Lord would bring exiled parts of you home today.